Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case with an unusually devious real estate broker. Yeah, Dennis, the broker got my client to buy investment properties, guaranteeing huge returns. But it turned out that the broker invented almost everything. He even invented the tenants to make the books look good. So how did you pursue the client's case? Well, the problem was that the broker had created layers of legal immunity, particularly in the contract itself, that he was just a finder. So we did some digging, and we found ads where he portrayed himself as someone who had fully vetted the properties. Once we had that, he ended up settling for an enormous amount. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business legalities. Call him for your own legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now, listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. Hi, this is Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast with me, always as a friend and producer, Ari David, always a pleasure. Um, we are living in interesting times, as they say. I had an interesting uh, topic in my Sunday show, and that was the exploration of what it would take to become a fantastic nation. Would it take uh, revamping our entire healthcare system? Would it be just the right amount of regulations, the right amount of taxes, uh, the right amount of equal pay for equal work? Um, that certain people, CEOs, only make a certain amount of money? What is it that will make it a great country? And I can tell you it's none of those things. It begs the question, what will make us a great country? Because I frankly think that we're a country in dissent. And I think it can be reversed, but we'll all discover the obvious answer at the end of the day. And that obvious answer is God-centered free market capitalism. Okay, that's the answer to everything, right? It's, it's a, a little bit like that uh, podcast we had before, which is the Windex thing, right? Like that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the mother or father, I forget who it was, uh, used Windex for virtually everything. All life's problems could be solved by using Windex, right? Have a headache? Spray a little Windex on your forehead. Um, dessert topping, right? It's a floor, it's a floor um, cleaner and a dessert topping, right? Anyway, the point is that um, God-centered free market capitalism really resolves so many things. It's not only a solution to so many of our social ills, but it's also a goal in and of itself. It's a beautiful goal, right? Free market capitalism really ideally brings out the best in us. And Ari, you gave a, a great example, I don't know, a couple months ago, where free market capitalism uh, created through a, a very uh, intrepid entrepreneur, the uh, washing machine, I believe it was 1851. And that washing machine liberated many people, particularly women, from having to do these chores that should otherwise take hours, if not the entire day, to clean clothes. And as a consequence, that opened up time. Time is our most precious commodity. And it allowed us to self-actualize, and especially the women among us, right? And reallocate that time to other more important things sure. and less mundane things. Less mundane things, exactly right. Mundane literally meaning of the earth, right? And this is a, a critical thing. So 
free market capitalism allows us to really move forward. It's like, I don't know, uh, think of it uh, as pipes that are really clogged, and you free market capitalism is that strainer that opens it up, and now you can rush forward with whatever you need to stream right through it, whether it's uh, water or gasoline or whatever, what have you. It'll go through the pipe now. And so it is with free market capitalism. And I, that's why I say it's God-centered in many ways. It's the thing that allows us to achieve and self-actualize and be the best we can be to other people and to ourselves. Don't you think God wants that? Yeah, and the God part is so important because without the God-centered, then there's no ethical monotheism that's or right. ethical at all involved in it. The ethical then moderates and controls and self-controls the behavior of the participants in the free market capitalism to make sure that they act ethically in their transactions. Right. So, and that's what I mean, that it's a solution and also a goal itself. Because when it's God-centered, then you know, uh, as you go forward with capitalism, you know you're doing it because, in a sense, God wants you to do it. God wants you to be the freest person you can be. We know that, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? It, it, you don't need to be beholden to anybody, not to a corporation, not to uh, uh, a king, not to any leader whatsoever, not to a cult, not to an ism. You're beholden only to God. Imagine how freeing that is. And with that God-centered market capitalism, great things happen. Now, you may say, okay, Barack, all right, that all sounds so nice and well, but that's very la-di-da. We live in a real world, my friends. And I say to them, yeah, we do. And guess what? History is on our side. This is not as if we're having this conversation in the year uh, 1780, right? Just after the revolution and just before the, the Constitution was created. No. We've got approximately um, 180 years backing us up. And I say that time period because it is the greatest boon uh, between 1789 and 1929. You know how, what a big fan I am of that time period. Yes, yes, uh, there were other things happening at the same time. Yes, yes, there was racism afoot and everything else. I get it. But that's arguing at the margin, my friends. The reality was that uh, great things were happening in, in innovation, medicine, arts, you name it, great things were happening. We have that on our side. And you have to explain why that's not God-centered market capitalism at work. It certainly wasn't socialism that was making this country great. It was God-centered free market capitalism. Okay. I wanted to focus on that. Why? Because I wanted to talk about how critical God is in our lives. That, that we should see God as, well, <laughs> as we see the sun setting. You know, you know that that's west, right? You can be, you know, if you want to go west, you decide, hey, I need to head to the beach and we're here in Los Angeles, you know, you go where the sun is setting because you know that's west. And so as you go in your car, you might have to kind of meander here and there, but the main goal is right there in front of you. Look toward the sun, go toward the sun, and you'll get to the beach. You may have to kind of, like I said, meander here and there. Maybe you have to do a stop sign. Maybe you have to go through an alleyway. You have to avoid a one-way street. I get that. But ultimately, the long run, that's where you got to go. And so it is with, with capitalism and God. Focus on God and great ideas will come. Does this, does this resonate? It, it does, and in a profound way. Because if you look at our friends on the left who are constantly trying to search for paths to their 
defined utopias, which always include no God in the solution. Right. The hilarious thing about what you're saying is, if you'd followed this, you'd have utopia and you'd have it today. Right. Uh, my wife was talking with me about all these uh, police issues of the last few weeks. And um, a question came up, which was, uh, we saw an article in which some liberal made the argument that you don't need police and you, instead you need something else. And the article was so profoundly stupid, it doesn't warrant discussion here. But that article came up, so we were discussing the idea of uh, why or how you wouldn't need police. I said to her, and she agreed, honey, I, thought, I realized that you know how you don't need police? If everyone on the planet followed the Ten Commandments, there'd be no need for police. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You would have, that's by exactly definition, right. a form of utopia. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, Prager brings this up, and I think most people would agree. If we just followed Ten Commandments, everyone would be benefiting from this dramatically. Now, in response, people will say, come on, guys, that's, you know, that's so unrealistic, blah, blah, blah. But who's more unrealistic? Us, exactly. Us? Or those who believe in the communist utopia where everyone is going to kick in at just the right moment and, and provide just the amount of services that he can provide and, and receive only those goodies that he, that he needs. I mean, what a bunch of car, uh, crap, right? It's far easier, far easier to observe the simple Ten Commandments than it is to, to engage in this utopian nonsense. All right. I want to talk about, uh, we actually had a, we, had, we get a lot of emails, uh, but there's one email that really struck me. Uh, from a woman named uh, Michelle, I believe, and she wrote recently uh, in response to our, a previous co- podcast that we had, and I want to thank her for it. She talked about how um, the Pope, what, she wanted to clarify that the Pope's statements, their statements and their edicts, and there's a difference. Uh, and she, her point is that the statements that the Pope may have made on global warming and so on, um, you know, maybe just, you know, a little bit bizarre for us, but n- that we shouldn't worry because um, he's not really inf- deemed infallible. It's only, he's only infallible when he uh, issues an official teaching on faith and morals. That's, that's uh, quoting her. And I, that gives me a lot more comfort in knowing about this. I did not know that. I just thought that whatever he believes and says out there by definition is infallible. But, um, it would be nice if the Pope would say that, prefacing right. the statements on global warming, gay marriage, etc., etc., etc. This is my non-infallible no. part. Talking well, no, here. she she's, she points out that he is in fact against gay marriage, and he called that he specifically called gay marriage a destructive attack on God's plan. And you know that's that's an interesting point. And if that Pope said it, well, then he's he may be more conservative than we think. However, the the stuff that comes out, uh, at least from the media seems to be very selective uh, in favor of global warming, in favor of um, minimizing capitalism and such. And that is interesting to me because he must know as a pope, because there, there have been popes before uh, who are dealing with the media world um, that, that, are, that were more cautious. They wouldn't say these things. And here's my concern, is that notwithstanding that this dif- difference and when he is fallible and when he's infallible, uh, edicts versus just personal beliefs. I, I can't help but think that people's personal beliefs bleed into what they issue as law. So, for example, uh, a judge, a, a very liberal judge who believes in social justice and such, typically is going to manifest that belief in the way that he or she rules on the bench. I mean, for example, there was that famous case of the, the woman judge 
who, I don't know where it was, but there was a, a, a black man that she was about to sentence who had committed horrific crimes, murders in particular, and she let him go. And in response, she famously said, I will not put another black man in prison. Okay? And, and she, as she said it, you know that she was thinking, I want to be quoted far and wide throughout this great nation of ours. Okay, fine, she can be quoted. And she was quoted as a result of it. But this is an example of somebody who has a liberal ideology that has clearly bled into the way that she renders justice. And, uh, you know, I don't blame her. That's the way it is. You know, that, that's the reason why we have Supreme Court justice uh, nomination hearings, because we want to know what their personal beliefs are and whether or not that will affect the way they rule, right? It's, it's very hard for, we, we recognize that it's hard for a Supreme Court justice or any judge or justice to separate their personal beliefs and the way that they will rule on a case, okay? Except for the most basic non-political of cases, such as a promissory note, for example. But even then, promissory note is simply an IOU, right? Even then, I, I've seen judges who have a particular social bent. They see that it's a, a poorer man who owes the richer man the $100,000, and the, the judge will say, you know, I don't feel like uh, giving you a judgment, Mr. Rich Man. And that's, that, that ain't justice, my friend. It, it's supposed to be blind in that regard, whether it's regardless of your skin color, your gender, or your status economically. All right. So my question is whether or not this is the same thing with the Pope, right? I mean, on the one hand, you know, he's very into global warming, and he seriously questions and, and does not like, it's clear he doesn't like the notion of capitalism. He feels that capitalism is a necessary evil. Okay, so the question is, does this bleed into his edicts? And why wouldn't it, right? Just like the judge we, we just spoke about. And that concerns me. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I pray for this pope. I pray for his uh, good uh, edicts and good rule. And I hope that, uh, that he will maintain the Catholic Church, which I'm so fond of. As you know, we're big fans of Christianity on the show. We think that uh, Christianity should spread far and wide throughout the world. We only wish that Christians... Would, would stand up for themselves a little bit more, right? Uh, that's, the, that's the main task, that, uh, that's the main burden of Christians today. Uh, just like the main burden of Jews today is to adopt conservatism and, instead of being so left-leaning, which is an embarrassment, I think. But that'll change. Now, that goes to our next point, which is why the Pope is this way. Why, is it perhaps that he wants to be more popular does he maybe think, because it's, it may, he may actually hold these personal beliefs, that's fine, but he must know that it may not be so appropriate for him to speak out about, about it, as his, as his job may not be to do that, but he's still doing it. So is it possible that he's doing it because he wants to bring more people into the fold, make them feel that Catholicism is, is more cool and hip and with the times, and uh, that they can... They can identify with Catholicism because, you know, hey, I'm a global warming enthusiast. I love environmentalism. And this, this pope is embracing environmentalism as a religious thing. Therefore, I like Catholicism. I'm going to join uh, or I will uh, revisit my old Catholicism of old. I think, I think there's something to that. But I warn our Catholic friends out there 
Not that, that they can do anything about it, I suppose. Don't think for a moment that this will actually help the Catholic Church. It won't. Because, first of all, it has nothing to do with religion, right? The, the global warming business, the attack on capitalism, nothing to do with religion. Let's face it. Um, that's number one. The number two thing is that we've learned from history that when you start laxing in your standards, you end up having no standards at all. Okay? You, you, you want to loosen the standards, standards, you'll get a world with loose standards. That's what happens. And you won't like it. And, and things will change more so than you think. It won't be as if people will be much more enthusiastic about Catholicism. The people that do come in as a result of what they perceive to be a more cool pope will be the kind of Catholics you don't necessarily want in the church. The people who don't really want to you know, go to mass, go to church, don't want to have the confirmation process, don't really want to read up on what Catholicism is all about. That's what you're going to get. It's not as if you're opening the doors of people who would otherwise be fervently religious, and suddenly now they're, 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 they're opening the doors because you've, you've, you've said certain key buzz phrases that appeal to them. It's not going to be like that. No, it's like if you... Uh were to do an analogy to the Middle Ages. Yeah. It's like inviting a bunch of heathens, vandals, and barbarians into the church. Yes. Oh, good and example. Tell, and yeah. asking them, would you please just call yourselves Catholics? Yeah. And then you can do your heathening, vandaling, and barbarianing in the pews of the apse and the nave. <laughs> but you yeah. don't have to actually um, be Catholics to call yourself Catholics. Yeah. And then what happens? The church essentially turns into a big tattoo parlor. Right. You get a lot of people who call themselves Catholics, and you can say, look at, look at our growing population of Catholics, but you know, do you really want this particular growing in, of, of, of that population? And, and you know what? How can I say this with some degree of authority? Because after all, you and I are not Catholic. But I can tell you that you can learn from Jewish history. Reform. Re the reform Jews. movement, yeah. And you know what I'm going to talk about, Ari. Um, and I think Michelle, the, the very nice lady who wrote to us, uh, we, we explained it to her as well. It's, it's a clarion call. It's a dangerous area. Look, my Christian friends, when you speak to each other and you identify each, each other as Christian, right? And when you talk to me and you identify yourself as a Christian, here's what I think. And I think everyone else thinks as well. Uh, that, you, that Jesus is your Savior. You go to church at least... Uh, Some you know, of the time. Well, no, a lot of the time. At least twice a month, three times a month maybe. Sometimes once a week. But, you're, you know, church is definitely a big part of your life. And God bless you for it, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say anywhere from once a week to once a day, depending. Exactly. But it's, it's definitely... I mean, they, they know everyone in the church. They know their, their pastor. They know the reverend. Uh, they know their priest. It, it's, they look forward to it. It's part of their lives. It's in their system. Right? It's in the DNA, if you will. And it, it, um, it informs their very day. It informs their jobs. It informs the way they deal with their neighbors, their employees. You get the idea. Okay. When, when a Jew tells you, hey, I'm a Jew, um, does that mean that they go to synagogue uh, three or four times a month, that, that uh, they are informed and, and center their lives around the rabbi and such like that? The answer, No. Not necessarily. In fact, uh, I would say about 
any, only about maybe 40% of the Jews that you speak to, when they say, I'm a Jew, that they are that kind of person. Okay? Maybe even less. And this is why, uh, you'll see where I'm getting with this, um, that so many Jews are liberal because they have lost their connection to God. Now, the reform movement, which is kind of like what we're seeing, what I think we're seeing in the Catholic Church right now, um, was this movement that was exactly what we're talking about before, this idea that, gosh, you know, Orthodox Judaism, it's, it's very stringent. And by golly, we need to make this more palatable and pleasing to our less observant Jewish friends. Yeah, this is just too hard. <clears throat> yeah, too hard. You can't expect Place. people to do this. So they open up the doors. They call this, this um, a new movement called Reform Judaism. Uh, and by the way, conservatism, con- conservative Judaism opened up after Reform Judaism. People forget that. But Reform Judaism was this very open, very liberal approach to uh, response to Orthodox Judaism. And the notion was you'd, you'd go every, every Saturday to the, to the synagogue just the same way, but it would be less intense, right? Fewer prayers, more English. Um, and uh, maybe a couple of guitars will, will come out. <laughs> and start. no separating of the genders. Right, right. Some right. things like that. A little less formality within the synagogue sanctuary itself. Right. But for the most part, the prayers are the same. Right. So what was the result of all this? The result was that, yes, while some people affiliated with this or that synagogue, um, they really don't go to the synagogue very often at all. I belong to a a very nice synagogue. It's called Wilshire Boulevard Temple. And I can tell you that most of the members, they go there, what we call twice a year Jews, meaning Rosh Hashanah, the the, the new year, uh, which is a holy day for us, and Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day of the year. Ten days later. They're ten days apart. And that's it. Thank you very much. And and they, they give their contributions at that time, and you don't hear from them again. Uh, you know, unless and until there's a bar mitzvah for one of their children. And yes, they're Jewish, they identify Jewishly, but it's more of a cultural thing. Now, do, I, I don't mean to, to rag on my fellow Jews about this. Like me. <laughs> no, I'm not ragging on you. No, I know. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah, the point I'm is... A, I'm a twice a year. I, uh, I understand, but you're not a Reformed Jew. Right. You're, you're a, a conservative Jew right. who happens to go to... Uh, synagogue twice a year, but I keep the Sabbath holy in the home once a week. Well, let's put it this way. I also don't go to synagogue every week. I, I want to, but I understand. I don't, I don't pretend as if somehow what I'm not doing is somehow a holy thing. Right. I recognize that I'm behind, I, that I'm, I'm lacking in my Jewishness by not going to synagogue, by not being more observant. That's what I do. I, I, I wish I wore a kippah. I just, I just haven't got myself to it, but my, the depth of my belief is very strong. And I, I just wasn't raised that way. And so I don't have the, the fluency of the, the Hebrew prayers that I really need. And in order for me to get up to speed, it would just take me years at this point, And I just, I had years I can't afford. Yeah, but the, the issue that we're discussing in, in this context is people who lack that depth of belief that you and I yes. have. Yeah. Who only do the once a year and the 10 day later show ups. Right. Those, if that, and those are just formalities of, that they look as ethnic obligations, yeah. but not religious yeah, obligations. Yeah, it's cultural. Uh, yeah, cultural obligations, and and it's a it's a shame because they go in there, they don't know what they're reading, they don't understand any of the prayers, 
Uh, they understand the general concept of Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, but that's about it. And then they go home and they say, okay, well, whew, glad we're done with that. Let's eat. Uh, you know, it, it's embarrassment. It, it shouldn't be this way. And this is what happens when you loosen the standards so much and you tell people, you, you give them a whole uh, edifice of a world where, hey, here, here's, a, here's an edifice of, uh, of religion that you, you can enjoy. And, and you can call this a full-on religion. And you don't have to be, and you can even poo-poo the, the Orthodox Jews and, and say you're just as Jewish as they are. But guess what? You're not. Right? I mean, it's, it, to, to give the Christian the analogy, it's like, it's like uh, not necessarily believing that Jesus was your Savior, right? Not necessarily going to church, you know, more than uh, twice a year. Uh, not celebrating Easter, not celebrating even Christmas, except maybe to exchange presents. And then call yourself a Christian. I mean, look, you're not. You're just not a Christian. You might even be an atheist if you're doubting yes. the chance that Jesus is your Savior and the existence of the Holy Trinity and the existence of the Father and the Holy Ghost. Well, you might be an atheist. That's right. Who's just going through some formalized rituals. Well, you're certainly not a Christian right? at that point. Um, and, and that's the, uh, the concern I have for, for you know, Catholicism and, and to some degree, some levels of the, the Christian faith. I mean, a lot of them have opened up their doors and such. I, and again, I, I know the temptation. The temptation is to open those doors and to bring in more people. But be careful. It's a little bit like, uh, from a business standpoint, um, look, I'm a lawyer. Um, I, I have to, you know, select cases before I come in. And, and I call myself a law firm, right? But if I brought in every Tom, Dick, and Harry here, um, who had the slightest bit, and I took a DUI case here, and this and that there, and just took their money. After a while, I, I, I wouldn't even feel like a lawyer anymore. But I exercise my discretion. I say, look, I, I don't think you need me. I don't think this is the right kind of case for you. Um, you, you I'm not even going to refer you to anybody else. Please don't sue anybody on this, and you're done with this case, okay? Please go. And, and that's the way it should be with somebody in the Christian faith and somebody in the Jewish faith. You, you need to be able to say, look, you want to come into our synagogue, into our church? We, we're really excited about that. But listen, you, you've got to do X, Y, and Z first. Okay? This is the way it is. And if you can't do that, we respect you. That's fine. But please don't be a member of our church. We want you to be actively involved. That's, that's the number one rule. And you need to learn that from, from our experience in the reform movement. Because when you Christians talk to a Jew, you don't know. You know, and, and there's a reason why most of them are liberal. It's because they're so disconnected with God. In fact, like I said, 60% or so of them are, are either non-believers actively or don't even know if they believe in God at all. Okay, so that's bizarre, right? You're going to synagogue and you don't even know if you believe in God. And you're just kind of whittling away the time because, you know, you're expected to be there. Or maybe you think it's a social endeavor and it's good to meet, you know, Bob and John over there. That, that's, that's cool. Uh, but it's, it certainly ain't religious. And it's not God-oriented. And as a consequence, they begin to believe that Judaism means X, it means Y. And all of a sudden, it's completely different from what Judaism really is. Because if it can mean anything, it means nothing. It, exactly right. You, you know, it's but, but, but just to, to give an example sure. of that, um, the, I don't know, just because it comes to mind right away, the death penalty. The Torah makes very clear the death penalty is to be imposed under certain heinous, murderous situations. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. But liberal Jews will say that somehow the death penalty is contrary to Judaism. They don't know what they're talking about. Because God is love. Because God is love. And we'll talk about that <laughs> maybe in another podcast because that, 
that's, we don't have enough time now. But this is a very powerful concept, very powerful. And, and they just, everything is upside down. Black is the new white, up is the new down. Um, and even abortion, for example, uh, I know that some Christian churches are even doing this now where they somehow say that abortion is okay among, in this or that church and uh, this or that uh, synagogue. But it ain't. I mean, it's, the Torah is very clear about this. I know the New Testament should be very clear about this. The reality is there's no way you can say that somehow God is okay with abortion. I mean, you have to do so much philosophical and religious contortions to, to get uh, me to believe that in, under any construct that uh, the Bible says that abortion is okay. There's yeah, just there's, absolute pretzeling. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Okay. Look, you don't have to like it. You may may decide that I'm all for the woman's right to choose, quote unquote, and all that stuff. Fine, believe that if you want, but don't tell me for a moment that it's consistent with the Bible. You just if you believe in it, fine, but don't tell me that it's what the Bible tells you. Understand that it's contrary to what the Bible tells you. And if you're doing something that's contrary to the Bible, and then you can say, I don't, I don't want to follow the Bible, at least in this regard, fine. Yeah, at least be intellectually honest. Say, yeah. abortion is something I'm okay with, yeah. and I don't care yeah. about what the Bible says. Fine. Right. You're free to do that, sinner. <laughs> right? But don't tell us what you just said. That's right. And somehow they're the experts. You right. Know, that's the amazing thing. You know, and we'll talk about this too in the God is Love podcast that we'll do soon enough, but um, somehow it's these these... Reform people that profess to know so much more than you do about your Bible that you've studied for all your life, <laughs> whether it's Jewish or uh, Christian, they, they're the ones who proclaim to know what the Bible tells you. Like, I cannot, for example, I, I love this one, where they say, I cannot uh, subscribe to a faith that would think that it's okay for the father to sacrifice his son, Isaac, right? And they've got it all figured out, you understand, and how how dastardly this this is and this is a crazy religion of yours and I, I don't even need to go into detail about how stupid their interpretation is of that right or all the other things like an eye for an eye you know oh i know the best whatever yeah i am my brother's keeper yeah yeah that's great that's great we are all our brother's keeper yeah, famous for obama and many of their democrats have always used that to justify social programs right yeah this is the this is the contortion that you were talking about the pretzeling anyway uh, it, it's not a, it's not a good thing when you open up the doors too much. Um, there's one thing you know. Truth should never change with the times. The things that can change with the times are, I don't know, the kind of music you listen to, um, even the level of what is considered um, acceptable for children to watch on TV. Even though I think there's a change in that too. Um, you know, the inventions, of course, and the way we network with each other and email each other and such like that. Even the language can change. But here's what doesn't change truth, right? Either Jesus is your savior or he's not, right? Either God gave us the Ten Commandments or he didn't, okay? <laughs> Either God expects us to be good to each other and there is a God or there is no God and there's no one to care whether or not we're good to each other at all, okay? It's, it's that simple. It doesn't change. You, time will not change that. It should not change that. And that's, these are the, the immortal uh, truths that will stand the test of time. It'll always be true that the Ten Commandments make sense. Always. Right? And this is where the Pope, I believe, should stick to. 
okay? Because global warming comes and goes. And what happens 40 years from now when global warming will be debunked? All right, well, well, no, it'll just go into the, into the sunset where nobody remembers it at all. Yeah, right? but people are digging up Pope Francis's edicts, even right. though it was his personal writing, and calling it an edict. Well, the Pope said, yeah. so we it, have to follow this. It was edicts. So you have to be super careful in these, in yes. these departments. So focus on the things that we know to be true. Uh, the, you know, what, the lessons we can learn from Cain and Abel, the, the, the lessons we learn from Joseph and Jacob and his brothers and such, um, the wisdom of uh, learning from uh, how to undo what King David did with Bathsheba, for example, and how he had to make up for, for his, his uh, sins. These are powerful, powerful things. And then how we, we are, uh, we try to be responsible and be good to each other. These are basic lines. It, it may be boring to repeat this over and over again, but that's, uh, truth, truth does not change. My friends, I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. Carries us out.